may be seated. I do appreciate so very much the, the opportunity to have been here with you. And I've heard a lot of things that I have really been impressed with and pleased to hear. I enjoyed the, the uh, Bible School group that sang and uh, appreciate their efforts and and trying to educate our young folk in the Word of God. Thank you, Brother Gleason, for inviting me to come in the youth committee for the two your superintendent. And I, I told Brother Gleason before the first service that as far as effort will be, you know, goes, that I, I promised him a tremendous effort. But beyond that, I, I couldn't promise nothing. But I said, as far as my trying, I said, I want you to know that I, I want to give you a first-class effort. I really wanted to try and be a blessing to, to you folks that are here. Amen. Somebody asked me one night for a service, said, uh, said well, I said, how you feel? I said, have you, have you got it tonight? I said, ask me after service, and I'll tell you. But I, I have really tried my best, and I hope that uh, something may have been said that will be a blessing to you. I was in a Bible school some couple of, two, three years ago, and a young man come up and asked me, said, uh, said, Brother Ards, could I ask you a personal question? And I said, they usually do. And he said, he asked me, he said, how long have you been working on the sermon that you preached today or last night? And I said, uh, you, you don't want to know how long. He said, no, he said, I, I, he was a young preacher. He was a third year student just about to, to enter into his ministry. He said, no, he said, I'd like to know how how long? Two hours, three hours, five hours? I said, well, I've been working on this one since 1953. <laughs> and he said, 1953? I said, that's right. I said, don't you know that when, when your pastor stands and preaches to you a sermon, he don't just preach from the resources of a couple of hours of study but he preaches to you his life and everything he's lived, everything he's experienced. Something that might take five minutes to tell may have taken five years to live. And that's, that's the reason why I'm so thrilled that the Lord in all of his mercy has allowed me to be a preacher. And I mean that. I, I'd, I'd hate to be just a lawyer, you know, something is dead and dry and unexciting of being a lawyer. That's right. You have to sit up all night and balance your books and count your money and all that kind of stuff. But I'm glad the Lord called me to preach. I, I, I have threatened for some time. I never have done it. But I'm going to preach one of these nights somewhere 
on the, the diary of a, of a pastor for 24 hours. And if I ever preach it, I'll do it in kind of kind of in honor or to represent the pastors that are there. You'd be surprised what your pastor deals with in a 24-hour span. I have one that started off one morning with my choir director quitting, and he told me how much he loved me, but he said, I quit. <laughs> said, said nothing against you, said I love you, you know, and then he had, had the strangest way of showing me how, you know. That's how the day started. And then that night, about midnight, I got a phone call on, on the other end of, the, of the, the line. There was a hysterical mother, and she said, oh, but odd, she said something terrible has happened, and and uh, she she had the Holy Ghost and had two little boys, and her husband didn't have the Holy Ghost. And I thought, you know, my mom was just going racing, trying to figure out what she was going to say before she said it. And just hysterical, oh, said, I, 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 something terrible has happened. And she said, I don't, don't know what to do and didn't know who else to call. But she said, we come home tonight. And said, I put off calling you, but I couldn't wait any longer. I said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what is it? She said, it's my cat. <laughs> said, my cat died. That's right. And there I was consoling. I was, I was saying one thing, and I was thinking something else. I was consoling her, and, you know, and her children were all up, you know, and weeping and crying. She was in hysterics, and I was trying to console her and how the Lord would help her through her trial. And I was thinking, you, you know what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, the life of being a being a preacher! I wouldn't, I wouldn't exchange it for nothing. I've not been around anybody, any other profession that even, even enticed me. I'm glad that the Lord has allowed me to be involved in, in, in His work. Praise God. So many rewarding moments. A man come to me one night, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know who he was. I didn't recognize him. And he walked up and he said, he said, Don't move. Stay right where you are. Don't move. It was at a youth convention. And I looked at him kind of funny, and, but his face was just beaming. He grabbed my hand, but, and he said, don't move. Stay right where you are. Don't move. And I said, for how long? He said, I, I, said, I don't know. But he said, don't move. I want to go find my wife. And he left me there, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to hurt the man's feelings. Didn't even know who he was. And I just stood there, and all of a sudden I could see a see the crowd being pushed from one side to the other and he come rushing up and pulling his wife behind him by one hand and finally we all got together and he told me how that several years before that uh, he and his wife were separated and that he happened in on a service and heard a message preached and went out of his way to go and recite 
what he had heard to his estranged wife. And he said, I just wanted you to know that that night, after you preached it the first time, said, I preached it the second time, and then we both put it to practice. And he said, I wanted to show you how happy we are now. Amen. Aren't you glad for the goodness of God? Would you stand, please? And I'd like to ask you just to lift your hands and worship you. Yeah, they keep changing around. Praise God. That's it. That's good. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Amen. I want to read to you tonight, and I hope next time I come that I'll get to hear Matthew sing. I don't see him now, but but he was so disappointed. But next time I hope I get to hear him sing. And then she's for Christ. Somebody mentioned that the youngest and the oldest can participate. We had five grandmothers. You had to be a grandmother to qualify, and you had to be over 60. We had five grandmothers that brought their rocking chairs to church, and they rocked 10 hours apiece and cleared $1,000. Right. While the, while the young folk were being, being uh, sponsored so much a mile, these grandmas are being sponsored so much an hour. And they had to have folk that would be on their team and they brought them their meals and, and uh, just rocked away for 10 hours and, and uh, made a little bit over a thousand dollars. So God bless you for your efforts. And uh, this has been a real good conference. I've enjoyed it. I'm going to catch a plane tonight at 11.30, and I'll be home tomorrow morning at 11.40, and I have a, a for preachers only class tomorrow night, and then I'll be back at my own church Sunday. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. I hope, I hope the, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to read to you from Luke 24. And I'm going to read the 37th and 38th verse. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he shewed them his hands and his feet. I want to preach to you tonight from just, just uh, four words that I feel like is perhaps one of the greatest 
challenges that you can find in all of the four Gospels. And Jesus stood there and looked into the faces of a group of very frightened men and extended to them an opportunity of a lifetime. And he looked at them, and they were very disturbed, very terrified, very much uh, in, in a state of high panic. And he looked at them, and he said to them, Handle me and see. Handle me and see. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Last night we preached from Genesis all the way to Calvary. And I'd like to preach to you for just a little while tonight on what happened just after Calvary. In fact, it's, it's amazing how many folk could disappear so quick. How that the multitudes could be so dependent upon to be around him while they brought their sick and while they gathered at his feet with bellies that growled for hunger, it was always there. And multitudes gathered, they pursued him, they chased him to the edge of the water one time and he had to kind of retreat to a boat just to get a little distance between himself and the crowd. But Calvary, by the time it, it, it really happened, the crowd had disappeared. And I mentioned one night here how few there were and how hard they were to find. By the time it was, it was burial time, it was, it was almost a stranger that appeared and and, and laid him in a tomb that did not belong to him at all. And so many so quick. Even some that had promised to be the most loyal by now proved to be the most disloyal of all. Men that, that, that had put the, the head upon his, his chest and had, had gathered with him and had eaten with him, but now they all have dispersed and almost just disappeared. They laid him in a borrowed tomb and just a few ladies, just a few women gathered around and you don't, you don't hear anything about the crowd, just, just a few. But uh, there was a good number of them that after they had scattered and, and, and fear caused them to, to, to not, not show their real allegiance to the one that hung on the, on the center cross. And fear drove them off in the night and they just disappeared. One, one young man struggled so desperately to, to disassociate himself with the Lord that that he wrestled with those that accused him of being a follower until he wrestled loose from his clothing and then run through the night frightened and naked and afraid. But now they all seem to have migrated or, or at least they've all gathered in, in, a, in a one place or at least some of them have, quite a few. The only thing that brought them there was fear. 
there was one common feeling among all of them, and that was the feeling of, of fear. The reason in their own minds that if this could be the conclusion of this great man, then surely it would uh, at least something as bad as that would happen to them. They, they all felt like that somewhere in a carpenter's shop that there was a cross being made for his followers, so his followers fled. And they went across town, and they all gathered in a room or in a building, and their eyes were big as saucers and just, just so afraid and so frightened. And their necks were bulging, their knees were knocking, they were, they were scared. The only reason why they had all come together was that fear had somehow gathered them all up into a little crowd. And then in this one building, they began to try and find a way to be safe. And they decided that what they needed to do was was to not, not necessarily lock themselves in, but that they needed to lock danger out. And so inside this building, they began to, to, to fortify it so that everything outside would not be able to come inside. It must have been quite a collection. Must have, if it had not have been so sad, it could have been funny. You know, just just so frightened, so afraid. Have you ever really been uh, frightened in your life? I mean, just really scared. Uh, I know I, I have a time or two, and I couldn't hardly breathe. I was so scared. I stayed in the Sunday school room. I say, I, my wife, and I, and two children was in the evangelist quarters. That sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? It was one Sunday school room and had no outside exit, just just one door going into a dining room and, and they had to go through a big old dining hall in the basement of a church to get out. And about three o'clock in the morning, my wife woke me up and she said, there is somebody walking upstairs. And normally, you know, it, she she wouldn't even have bothered me, but but uh, I heard it instantly. She she was not imagining nothing. There was somebody walking upstairs, and you talk about frightened. I'll admit to you, there is nothing more scary than to be in a in a great big old church and you'll be pinned down on one little bitty Sunday school room with your wife and two kids. And I could hear whoever was walking. And I shook my head to make sure that I wasn't, you know, just imagining, but it, it, it was a big old, you know, pounding. And it was somebody showing up was there. About that time, one of the kids made some noise, and my wife clamped her hand over their mouth. Said, don't, you know, just, just, uh, I, I, I know what it means to be scared. And I thought, I'm trapped. I can't even see what I'm hitting. I can't even, uh, there's no place to run. There's no place to go, and I'm just here. And I had a wife, and I had a little boy, and a, and a, a baby girl. 
And I didn't know what to do. My wife was trembling, and, 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 and the kids were trying their best to cry, and she wouldn't let them. And I, could, I, I heard whatever that was walk down the steps and begin to walk toward where we were. And all I could find was a Coke bottle, was all I could find. You laughing, but I wasn't laughing. I was scared. And I eased over to the door and I decided I didn't know who he was, didn't know what he wanted, but if he opened that door, he was going to have a Coke. I guarantee you. But every, every muscle, I, I've often wondered since then if I would have had enough, enough uh, lubricants in my arm to swing it. Every, every muscle in my body was as tight, and I stood there at the door, I was scared. And these, these folk gathered, and they... They looked at each other, and their eyes were big, and their necks were swollen. Their master had just been, been crucified. And they all gathered, decided that what we need to do is to lock all the dangers that's sneaking around outside. We need to lock those dangers out there. And so they begin to to make plans so that no one uninvited would, would be able to come inside. And I, I, I don't know, maybe if they like we are, perhaps, perhaps they had a committee and, and called it the, the security committee. I said, now is it something you to, to, to be sure all the windows and all the doors is locked up tight and bolted shut and no sooner had the committee been commissioned and they went about their duties and locking windows and locking doors and when they left, maybe they appointed a subcommittee. You know, and I want the subcommittee to be sure that the committee didn't omit nothing. And all the while, just, you know, I, I could see one guy saying to the other guy, saying, don't don't be be, be don't, don't don't be scared scared you know I said it's everything's gonna be all right all right all right oh you know oh they was they were scared and after a while it seemed like the psychology of preparation began to help them I mean they were so active they were they were you know securing the place and. And nailing everything down real good and tight. And after a while, they begin to feel like perhaps we are safe. And they'd take a peep at the window, and it seemed like the window would smile. And in, in its own way, it was saying, it's all right, it's all right. And you could, you could almost see the, the emotional tension in their bodies begin to relax. And the reason why, they begin to feel like they were safe. And it seemed like the latches in the windows would sing little songs to them. You know, they, they'd look at the windows, and, and four windows on that side made up a little quartet, you know. And, and they, they'd sing, it's all right, it's all right, we all locked up tight, you know. 
They all got the feeling real good. You know, the eyes, you know, got that the normal size and 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 they all begin to feel like everything outside will be respected and will not be able to come inside. Make no mistake, nobody was being locked in because no one wanted to go out. All they wanted to do was to make sure that no one out there could come in here. And somebody said, hey, I believe we've done it. And they all begin to get just a little cocky and oh, everything's going to be all right. And, and all of a sudden, a, a man appeared in their midst. Can you imagine after taking the whole afternoon locking windows and locking doors and, and then all of a sudden, and there stood a man. And the Bible said that in their hearts they were troubled and they were terrified. When they looked at that man standing there, they all went against the wall and they just looked at him. And, 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 and in, in their hearts, they wasn't frightened, they were terrified, you know. It, it wasn't like some little, little spooky game. There was more to it than that. I mean, the windows are all locked and the doors bolted shut and, and it, it, it's so tight we can't hardly breathe. And, and here, here is somebody standing there, I think, you know, they wasn't really sure he was. And Jesus stood there and talked to them and tried to talk them into realizing it was really him. And he said, uh, you know, he looked at them and, and said, uh, it's, 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 it's me. I can, I, can, I can hear some real timid, shaky voice way back in the crowd just said, said, hi. You know, so nice to have you here, if you are here. You know, and, and, and if you are here, I wonder how you got in here. And Jesus stood there and talked to them and said, Listen, now the reason why you see me is because I am flesh and I am bone. He said, if I was spirit, you wouldn't see me. That didn't, that didn't help nothing. You know, flesh and bone and, 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 and you inside. And how did you get inside? And, and, and he's he just standing there and, and, and somebody said, I'll tell you what. I said, uh, how, about, uh, how about you staying over there and we'll stay over here? Jesus said, it's I. It is I myself. Somebody said, hello, I myself. But said, if you don't mind, we ourselves will stay over here and you stay over there. It really happened. The Bible said that in their hearts and in their minds, they were terrified. They couldn't imagine what had happened. How could it be? The last time that they had any word at all, he was in Joseph's tomb, 
and, and he was bleeding and and, and 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 what is it and how did it happen and did it is it really so yesterday it so it's not maybe it is can't be and they stood and finally Jesus looked at them and said really we should not be in, in such a prolonged debate he said, you need to find out for yourself if I am or if I ain't. Said, you, you need to find out if I am still lying somewhere in a, in a cold tomb or if I am really the risen Lord of glory. And, and not, not, uh, not, not because your mama said so and not because your daddy said so and not because of grandma or grandpa, but he said, you need to find out for yourself if I am here or if I am not here. And then he offered to them a, a fantastic challenge. He said, if you doubt I am alive, if you doubt that I am the risen Lord of glory, if you doubt that I am really powerful enough to surprise you the way I have, he said, then why don't you just walk over here where I am and don't just touch me, but walk over here and handle me and see. You talk about a challenge. He said, don't do it for your aunt, don't do it for your mama, don't do it for your daddy, but in your own life, if you have doubt, if in your own mind you are confused as to who I am, or if I am, he said, you, you owe it to yourself to walk over here and get a hold of me and find out if I really am. Handle me and see. Praise God. You talk about a challenge. We used to brag about second and third generation Pentecostals. But now we've gone beyond that. But there's some young folk here tonight. I'd like to challenge you. To bow your head in honor to all you heard from mom and dad and from grandpa and grandma and, and sure enough, show them an attitude of a appreciation for what they have taught you. But you can't build on what they have loaned you in, uh, in its entirety. But you need to find out for yourself where he is what he can do uh, if he really is the Lord that your mom and your dad brag to you about. It's, it's, it's handle me time. Youth Convention in Oregon, 1979. It's handle me and see. Try me. Taste me. Handle me and find out for yourself. Praise God. Handle me and see. That, that young preacher, up until now, he's the only been a follower. 
never had really been involved in any kind of leadership, but he was the one that built the fire, carried the water. Faithful always at the heel of the old prophet. When Elijah needed someone to help him, the young, the young man Elisha was always there. Finally, the old prophet looked at the young man and said, What would you like to have? It's, it's about time for me to go. And that young man said, All I want is just twice as much of what's motivating you. That's all I want. He said, I, I have seen so much, and I have felt so much, and you have made me aware of so much. He said, all I ask of you is to somehow to get twice as much of your power in my life. That's all I want. The old prophet said, all right, and you know the story. And everywhere he went, Elijah, wherever he, he put his foot down, the young man right on his trail, day after day after day. Finally, the time come, and the chariot of fire come down, and if you notice the scripture, it, it implies that there may have been a slight little tug of war. Because the wording says that the, the chariot come down and, and took him asunder. It, it kind of suggests that there was a little bit of a, of a tug of war involved. But suddenly the fiery chariot come down and, and pulled him asunder and took the great old prophet of glory and left behind a, a pure follower and not a leader. He, he, he'd always been by the side of the, of the great prophet. He carried his satchel, he carried his water, he carried his firewood. He washed his feet at nighttime. But now all of a sudden he was no longer to be a follower but now he was to be the one that would represent Jehovah God to a, to a very confused nation. Now the young man stood there and he, he realized that just on the other side the, the river was a whole bunch of public opinion that already was going against Elijah. And the young man realized that that, that, that uh, opposition Toward the old prophet, he would inherit that. And he realized that all the responsibilities that the old prophet had was now his. And there was a time, I'm sure, that he, he paused and he wondered and was concerned and perhaps even just a little bit discouraged. But here he now stood on the other side of the river. And he stands gazing toward the heavens and trying to find the vapor trail that the old chariot left. Elijah was gone, and suddenly he had to be full grown. He had to be all wise. He had to be all powerful. All of a sudden, he was the one that, that the Lord had been shifted upon and 
And for just a moment he considered and wondered what will he do and how will he do it and, 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 and what else. And the man he loved and the one that he cherished was gone. And this young man's chin began to droop just a little bit and his shoulders got rounded just a little bit. Absolutely preoccupied in the in the concern that that, that Elijah was plucked asunder from him, and now he's there alone and frightened, no doubt. In fact, he was so preoccupied and worrying that he did not notice that the mantle. Had, uh, you know, that symbolic link between divinity and humanity. That that mantle had come floating back down to the earth, and I don't know, but I kind of think in my own mind that he did not notice that mantle right away. He was so concerned in the struggle, the entanglement, the emotional thrust that all of a sudden, He's on his own and preoccupied with his own thoughts and his own worries. You know, some folk worry because they like to worry. That's right, some folk worry if they don't have anything to worry about. That's right, we had an evangelist come by our place recently, and, and the church loved them and, and gave them a fantastic offering. Just a real big bunch of money. And we took them out to eat after service. And, and I heard the husband whisper to the wife how much it was. And she said, oh my God, something's going to happen. So I, and and I, I couldn't help but over here. And I said, what do you mean? She said, every time that the Lord has blessed us with some real unusual offering is right before a major breakdown on the bus, a major breakdown on the car or something. So she wondered, worried already. She said, oh my God, what's going to happen? My mother told me, she said that she was trying to get a cold. I said, you doing what? She said, son, better... Better pray for me. I'm trying to catch a cold. I said, Mama, don't try. You know, don't, don't try. Some folks just like to worry. That's all. They like to worry. Some of you right now are worried about me and that Coke bottle. Right. Some, some folks just like to worry. And you know, Elijah was so concerned and so preoccupied that he didn't even notice that the mantle had come down and was over there on the side there on the, on the beach and just laying there all by itself. And that young preacher didn't even notice it. And he pranced back and forth and his chin got on his chest and his shoulders got rounded and he wondered what to do and where to go. And, how to do it, and, and, and all the while, that man was trying to get his attention. I don't know how that old piece of animal skin communicates, but, but everything communicates. 
That's right, everything communicates. You ever walk in a funeral parlor and talk real loud? No, you don't. And I've never seen a sign in a funeral parlor that said, that's in a hospital. But still, when you walk in a funeral parlor, you just automatically, you get quiet. And the reason why the walls in that place, everything about the place tells you to be quiet. I don't, I don't know just how it did it, but, but in its own way, that animal skin was trying to talk to a young preacher. And that young preacher had his head down and, oh, just so worried. And that man was, you know, I don't know, winking or whistling or whatever, however. It, but tried his best to get that young man's attention. He was so worried and so concerned and trying to see where the old prophet went. And, and finally he turned and, and began to walk back. And when he did, a breeze blew and it picked up one end of that mantle. And it looked like it was just waving at him. And finally the young the young man looked to notice that mantle, and when it did, that mantle talked to him. Say, hey, fella, get your chin off your chest. Say, hey, young man, square your shoulders and, and walk over here where I am. And pick me up and handle me and see what you and I can do together. Praise God. That you, you, don't, you don't need to be concerned or worried. Just walk all over here and get a hold of me. Handle me and see what we can do together. Jesus said one time, he said, who, who did it? Who did it? And they said, who did what? He said, somebody, somebody touched me. And said, I want to know who it was. And they said, well, now, you know, that's kind of a strange question. Said, any, any one of that bunch, probably all that bunch touched you. He said, oh, no, I didn't ask you who, who has moved and pushed me around. I didn't ask you who has been manhandling me today. But somebody out there has touched me, somebody has gotten a hold of me, and I'd like to know which one it was. And they said, well, how, how are we going to know? And he said, it'll be easy. But you see, when they got a hold of me, a part of me went into them. Said, all you have to do is to mingle in the crowd and find that one that is beginning to look like me. Find that one that has, a, has that glow in their face. And, and somebody out there has handled me. And about that time, that, that little lady jumped up and she said, I did it, I did it, I did it, and I'm glad. Somebody handled him. Handle me and see it's handle me time. And this, this is not a new message. 
It's, it's the same thing we hear and we see every day of our lives. This is the same message that the, that the artist hears. When he goes to an art supply store, everything in that store talks to him. And if, 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 if I go to an art supply store, I don't hear nothing. But you let that artistic one, that, that person with that sensitive feel for the abstract, you let them go to an art supply store, and everything in there whispers in their ear. And they'll pass by the rack with all the canvases just dangling and nude and empty, and just, just there they are. And if I was to walk by the canvas rack, I wouldn't hear nothing. I wouldn't see nothing. In fact, the canvas wouldn't even bother talking to me. But you, you let the artistic one go by that canvas display, and, and as, as they pass by the canvas, they say, Hey, don't pass me by. And that canvas will puff its chest. And that canvas will say, hey, fella, you take me home with you. Don't, don't leave me hanging here. Take me home and put me on your easel. And put some blues up here and some greens down here and some, some yellows and reds in the middle and, and put some verticals. And that canvas has a way of saying to the artist, don't sell me short. Take me home with you and, and, and let, me, let me be in your house and you handle me for a while and you'll be surprised of what I can look like somewhere in the future if you handle me for a while. It's an old story. It's the same thing we hear over and over and over. It's to get out of the grandstand and get on the playing field and get involved with God. Handle Him and see what He can do. Handle Him and see. Praise God, praise God. Handle me. This whole Bible is filled with so many promises that, 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 that were meant for you and I that we really ought to take much more opportunities with. Every promise in the book is ours if we'll handle them. But there's something about our egos and our pride that, that the best of us at times will turn our back on promises just to try and prove what we can do without God. To try and prove what we can do without prayer. There's something there in the nature of man that we want to prove and impress and be impressive and, and to display what I can do. And while we are showing what I can do, we are displacing some of the promises of God. Prayer is a beautiful experience. 
and it offers us so much hope and so much opportunity. But many times we don't pray because we get all caught up in an ego trip trying to prove what we can do by ourselves. We enjoy impressing those we love. I'm, I don't know, 3,500, 4,000 miles from home. And if I was to buy a suit, or if I would have bought a suit today, and stood there in the mirror and, and looked at the fit and the style, the color, and that, that man standing there selling me a suit, all the things that he may, may have whispered to me, how nice it looked and how it, you know, it, it fits so well and all that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't have heard him. All the things he said would have gone in this ear and out of that ear. Because I wouldn't really care if he liked the suit or didn't like the suit. Because he, he just, you know, he, he don't mean that much to me. But if I would have been in the process of buying a suit today, sure enough today, because I'm homesick, and if I'd have been standing before that mirror, I wouldn't have even realized that the old guy was there. I'd have been thinking the whole while, I wonder, I wonder what she'll think about it. You know, that's right. I wouldn't care if you liked it. All I'd be concerned about is is going home like a flash, you know, and, 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 and somehow impress that gal and make her think that she has a whole lot more than what I know she's got. Right? One time, one time one of my kids was having problems in one of their classes, and, and I got home from a trip, and just, just eased in the driveway, and she met me it was late at night. And before I could put my suitcases down, I could sense that there was a problem, something was wrong. And this is back when we was in St. Louis. And I stood there holding my suitcase, and she stood there with a smile, but it wasn't the kind of smile I wanted. Oh, it was from ear to ear, but I... Uh, uh, it was one of those kind that didn't come from the inside. You know, she just saw me drive up, and and, and when, when I drove up, she just went to the cupboard somewhere and got the smile and put it on, and, you know. I said, hey, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And I still had my suitcases. She said, oh, no. I said, it's nothing wrong. I said, no, there's something wrong. And I... I just soon hear it now, and just what's what's wrong? And she she began to cry, and and I heard what I'm sure most of you preachers have heard uh, in 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 your lives. And she began to explain to me that she could not be mother and 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 uh, friend and second baseman and scout leader and quarterback and pal. And, and this just everything to a grown boy. She said, I just, I just can't be all that. 
I'm doing my best to be a mama, doing my best to be a friend, but she said I can't be a quarterback. I can't be a ball player. I can't wrestle. Oh, she just stood there, and and and, and, and I thought, you know, what in the world am I going to do? I didn't come home for all this. And I'm standing there with my suitcase in my hand, and she's crying. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to have to have to try something. And and I just I took a deep breath, and I said, Hey, don't you don't you realize what's happened? I said, don't, haven't you noticed who has just come home? And I said, I said, Papa's home. I said, Daddy's home, babe. You don't have to worry about nothing. I said, Daddy's home now. And, you know, eagle. And when I said that, I caught just a little bit of a gleam in her eye. And so, so part of what I said after that was her fault. But I, I told her, I said, I said, Daddy's home. And I caught that little gleam. And when I did, I went nuts. I thought, boy, I can, I can really snowball this gal one more time. And, and let her see, you know, what all I can do. And I asked her, still had the suitcases. I said, have I, tell me, have I ever failed you yet? You talk about a Jehovah complex. Say it. I said, tell me, have I ever failed you yet? And she looked at me and her face got soft. And she smiled real big, and she said, "Actually, I don't, I don't guess you ever have." And I said, "Well, don't worry about nothing. Papa's home now. I'll take care of all the problems, and I won't fail you now." Talk about ego, who? And I said, "I'll take care of all his problems. Don't worry about nothing." And while I was doing all that. Prayer was over on the shelf, and prayer was whistling and saying, you you know. Prayer was saying, hey, Dad, you know better than that. Prayer was saying, hey, Mom, don't let that guy sweep you off your feet. Prayer was saying, you can't solve the problems in your home by yourself. Prayer was saying, you can't keep things together without me. But ego, I was so busy, I did not even notice prayer saying, help there. Oh, no, we sat down. I solved all of his problems without even waking him up. That's right. Solved all of his problems, and the poor kid didn't even know that, that, that his troubles were over. He was still asleep. But I convinced my wife, and oh, we had a real nice lunch, and everything was fine. I went to bed, and I was almost asleep, and the whole bed jumped. And, 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 and my wife screamed at me, and, and it was rather aggressive and somewhat boisterous. 
and she says, she says, sleep was guy. And I was kind of in between, you know, being awake and being, you know. And I looked at her and I said, huh? She says, sleep was guy. And she said, you're not that smart. And I wondered, you know what? said, you're not that smart. She said, you can sleep if you want to. But I'm going back in the front room where it all started. I'm going to find me a place to kneel. I'm going to find me a place to pray. And when she said that prayer over in the corner, begin to dance for joy. Prayer said, hey, mama, now you're talking like someone that understands the ways of God. Prayer said, no, you just walk over here now, mama, and get a hold of me and handle me and see what we can do together. Handle me and see. And we both got up together. We both went and prayed together. Let me tell you something, sir. You won't hold your family together. You won't keep your romance beautiful just because of the bacon you bring home. And your housewife, he won't come home every night just because of the way you fry his bacon. It takes more than that. Yes, sir. It takes handling prayer in your home to make everything work the way it could work and should work. Prayer says, don't just look at me, but handle me and see what we can do together. It's handle me time. Fasting. You have to admit with me that if you look at fasting purely from a carnal standpoint, just just lift fasting out of the Word of God and take it from its natural surroundings. Just pluck it up and set it out there and look at it. It don't really make a whole lot of sense. When you say fasting, you're saying no food. When you say no food, you say no peanut butter, no pizza, no sardines, you know. And then, and then we preachers get up and say, folk, we need a move of God. We need a fast. What we are saying is, we need a move of God. No peanut butter, you know, no sardines, no pizza. And you just set fasting out there all by itself, and, and you look at that with a, with a carnal mind. It, it, it don't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, you know, you, you call home, and, and, and your wife says, your baby's sick and has a fever, and you tell your wife, well, I know what that baby needs. That baby needs its mom and daddy. Not to eat sardines. And no more peanut butter. No more pretzels. And that fever go. You know, with the call of mine, what does peanut butter and pretzels have to do with temperature? 
just there it is. Just just look at it. I, I realize that biologically, it would do us all some good to, you know, just physically to to, to not eat a day every now and then. Some of those little digestive engineers in the pit of your stomach, they have not had a day off in 20 years. They have worked around the clock, double time on holidays. Right? There will be a little value. There will be some value just not to eat. But fasting, just to look at this theory of fasting, you have to admit to me it's hard to visualize a produce stand or grocery store, even anywhere close to the neighborhood of Calvary. It just don't make a whole lot of sense. A lady sat in our kitchen one morning my wife and I had noticed that she had not been acting her usual vibrant self. She had not, not really been bubbly and bouncy like she usually was. And we were concerned, we worried about her. So she come by the house and, and I thought I'd venture just a question or two and then I asked her, I said, uh, Sister O'Pine, are you, are you not feeling well? I didn't want to tell her that she looked terrible. But I said, uh, 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 is there something bothering you or you're not feeling well? And when I asked her, she kind of bowed her head and tears in her eyes, and she said, well, she said, I, I wouldn't have mentioned it to you except that you, you asked me, so I'll tell you. She said, I haven't eaten in several days, almost a week. And she said, I'm fasting for my husband. And when she said husband, my, my heart kind of skipped a beat. And I could almost feel what she was going to say before she said it. She said, I promised God that I would not eat again until my husband got the Holy Ghost. And when she said that, I hit the ceiling. And I said, you didn't say that. She said, well, but I, you wasn't even there. I said, you think I wasn't there. But I said, you didn't say that. And the reason why you didn't say it, because I, 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 you got better sense than that. I said, your husband is a rascal, and you know it, and I know it. He has never put his foot inside the building. He has whipped you and your children, threatened to whip me. And I say, you know as well as I do, that man you married to, he is a rascal. And she said, I know that. And I said, for that reason, I want you to know, you didn't say that. I'm going to tell you what you said. I was, I was scared. I thought, my Lord, you starved to death. And I said, I'm going to tell you what you said. She said, I, I know what I, I said. No, you don't know what you said. I'm going to tell you what you said. I said, you prayed to get all carried away. And you said, Lord, I want to fast 
until I see a little bit of a change in my husband's attitude. That's what you said. And I said, that could be anything, you know, uh, praying at mealtime or a smile when you go to church, you know, just some little change in attitude. And, and that's what you said. She said, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. Don't talk back to me. Then she cried and she shook her head. She said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But she said, I thought you told me to do this. You talk about putting a preacher in a corner. I said, when did, when did I ever tell you to do that? She said, you preached a few months ago that the difficult victories are won through prayer and fasting. And so she said, I thought you meant that when you said it. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this now because you told me to do it, so if I'm doing wrong, I'm sorry. You talk about a fellow switching boats in the stream. I said, you really think that, that what are you doing? That's what, what I, I, I told you to do that? She said, didn't you say it would work? Yeah. I said, did you think I said it would work? She said, I thought you said it would work. And I looked at my wife and she read my mind. I took a deep breath and changed gears and I jumped up and I said, sure it'll work. Hallelujah! It'll work! Thank God! Thank God! And all the while, I was I had up on the feet and moving it toward the door. And I said, sure! It'll work! Hallelujah! And, and, and outside the door, and closed the door behind her. And I looked at my wife and I said, oh my God, we don't have many good Sunday school teachers. And there goes one. So we gotta, we gotta pray. We gotta pray because if we don't, she'll starve to death. She's almost dead now. Sunday morning come, and she come to Sunday school so weak, couldn't hardly walk. She come in and sat down, and when she sat down, she closed her eyes, and she never opened her eyes through the whole less than an hour. But she just closed up her eyes and you could tell she was in, in, in deep thought and worship. She responded, but she never opened her eyes. We went from the Sunday school hour to morning worship and Sister Opal was still hands raised and worshiping with her eyes closed. And never did open her eyes. In fact, if she would have, she would have become aware that sitting right next to her was a great big rascal that she'd been married to for a long time. And that big old guy sat there and he put one eye on me and one eye on her. And when all through service made the altar call and she didn't even stand, she just sat there lost in the spirit. Just, just pulled a big crowd of folk praying for someone, and she felt a little bit in, 
embarrassed and ashamed that she wasn't up there helping. She took her little weak body and moved her way down and weaved into the crowd to help pray for somebody seeking the Holy Ghost. And when she got there, kneeling on his knees and his face to the floor was a great big rascal saying, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, the phone rang and I answered it. And the party said, hello, pastor. And I recognized who it was. The last time he called me, he didn't call me pastor. He said, hello, pastor. I said, what do you want? And he said, I want want to be baptized. And I thought I'd just test him a little bit. I was excited. I was just trying to test the old guy. I said, well, I said, "Uh, I'll see you in service tonight. We'll talk about it. And I said, "Uh, we don't have a baptistry. But I said, in the next few days, a couple weeks, we'll get together and and, and I'll I'll baptize you. He said, "Uh uh-uh. Said, said, you're going to baptize me today. I said, uh, I said, I said, we don't have no bat, don't have no tank. He said, we got the Fox River. I said, I know we got the Fox River, but it's November, and this is Wisconsin. He said, Pastor, I need to be baptized today. And I, I, I'll never forget Yankee Land, Beloit, Wisconsin. And we walked down that boat dock, and the water had, had you know, worked its way up, up the, the boat dock and a landing and then back and forth and made it real slick and slippery. We went walking out, and I told him, I said, Now, uh, Brother O'Pine, be real careful. This is slick. And I said, You lose your footing and you'll be under before you knew it. And it just, just a minute or so after that, he reached around underneath the water and found me. <laughs> ba- baptized him that afternoon in Jesus' name. Right. He didn't, he didn't know a thing about what to do or how to do it, but that, that Sunday night, he come down to the altar, received the Holy Ghost, but didn't know how to express himself. Or maybe he did know. But the only way he knew to show his, his uh, excitement, the only, only way he knew how to do it, he'd just look all around and say, Whoopee! He, so finally he got all settled down. I said, I said, Brother O'Pine, how you feel? He said, Whoopee! I said, No, I said, No, 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 Whoopee. I just, How do you feel inside? He said, I feel Whoopee! You see, your next door neighbor might tell you that fasting don't make sense. And your carnal instincts may tell us that there's not a whole lot of value in fasting. But fasting says, why don't you walk over here 
and get a hold of me, handle me, and give me a chance to work with you in your life. Fasting says, young person, young lady, young man, why don't you handle me and see? You might be surprised what you can find in your own young life or your own young experience. You'll be surprised how deep you can go, how far you can stand, how far you can reach if you dare to handle prayer and handle fasting. You'll be surprised what good things can come your way. Handle me and see. Worship. He tells us that when we enter into, into his courts, we should go into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. I wonder what would happen tonight if we as a group was to reach up and catch hold of the abstract, reach up and get a hold of the invisible, and begin to handle it. I don't believe he is a God of someplace else, but I think he is the God of Youth Convention 1979 here tonight. I wonder what would happen if we would reach up and just handle worship. Away down deep on the inside. I wonder if you have a whoopee set away somewhere in your lung cavity. I wonder if way down deep on the inside there's been a praise that you have suppressed. There has been a worship that you have been embarrassed uh, to present to him. I wonder what would happen if we would all together just reach up and handle worship. I wonder what would happen tonight. He said, I might be a spirit and I am truth, but I still like to be worshiped in spirit and truth. Praise God. I feel him in my feet. I feel him in my knees. I feel him in my heart. I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my mind. I feel the anointing power of his presence all over me now. Why could we not worship him together? Would you do that? Hallelujah. 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 Handle me. So we all stand, please. Let's stand and worship him. Let's stand and worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 Handle me and see! Try me and see!
Hallelujah. 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 Hey, I feel him tonight. Hands on me. Down in my soul, just like the Father said, I've got the Holy Ghost down in my soul. Hallelujah! Worship Him! Worship Him! Well, I've been to the water and I've been baptized. And I, I nothing for my journey now. Oh, like the Bible, like the Bible says, Everybody, I've got the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Bible says, I've got the Holy Ghost. Down in my soul, just like the Bible says, I've been to the water and I've been baptized. I got so happy and I'm sad and satisfied. I wouldn't take nothing for my journey. one more time and I'd like to ask every Pentecostal conqueror here 
if you would make your way down to the front, and as you come, handle him as you come. Last night at youth convention, won't be together like this again for a long time, perhaps not ever again like, like, like we are now. And I'd like to ask every Pentecostal conqueror to come down to the front, and as you come, Come handling him. Come singing. Next week in high school, you're gonna wish you was here. So while you're here, let's let's worship him while we're here. What you doing? While we sing, every Pentecostal conquer, would you come down and, and then after they all get down here, all you moms and dads and pastors come down and back them up. Let's show them how to, how to handle him. What did you say? I said, let's, let's handle him together. I've got the Holy Ghost down inside my soul. Just like the fire. 